So welcome to this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast, and I'm really excited that we have as a guest, special guest this week, uh, Ilona Phillips. She is the founder of the Lotus Consulting Organization. You would call it organization, or what do you call Lotus Consulting? Yeah, or agency group practice, yeah. And how many people do you have working there? 30 currently. Mm -hmm. 30! So That's she's grown her practice from a private practice to a uh, consultancy that has 30 people in it, which is quite an accomplishment. So that alone is a uh, street cred enough to kind of uh, want to talk to her. But she's also a specialist in working in a variety of different ways with uh, eating disorders as well as lots of different kinds of difficulties and, and problems. She, she has a, uh, a specialty with uh, abuse, is that right? Like a substance abuse or yeah, alcoholism as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she brings a very mindful perspective to that, having a history of practice with mindfulness. So she's an excellent candidate here, or, or, or I should say an excellent guest to have on the show. So welcome to the show, Ilona. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I, it is my pleasure to be here. Um, always great to um, connect with fellow coaches, therapists, and you know, mindfulness practitioners. I'm delighted to be here. So let me ask you, just to go back to kind of the beginning, and the first part of this is always like, well, how did you wind up here? Like, at what point did you turn around and go, you know what, my job in the world is to help other people? Like, what was it that lit that up for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually um, had a nice dialogue with Aaron Hewitt that you had on your podcast not too long ago. And um, uh, we sort of giggled and laughed because it, I feel like in, in the psychotherapy world, we often joke with our colleagues about whose trauma are you healing? Are you healing your trauma? Are you healing someone else's trauma? Exactly, right. right. Yeah, we all bring our stuff to this work for sure. I, I do come from Eastern Europe. Uh, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain and that carries all kinds of baggage. Oh um, my God. I mean, yeah. I mean, the weight of that just kind of hits me really hard. That's a big, that's a big deal yeah. from behind yeah. the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. And so you experienced the whole transition of from one basically gigantic, sudden cultural shift. For sure. Wow. For sure. And it, do, it does give me, give, give me chills just thinking about that. Um, go, you know, I, I always felt sort of a little bit suffocated. Uh, you know, we mm -hmm. were not able to travel. You know, certainly media was managed for us, so on and so forth, right? My father, though, always listened to Radio Free Europe, uh, which my mother was so afraid of. Um, because we could be punished for that, obviously. But it was a crime. Uh, it was a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, it was suffocating in so many ways. Uh, but what always um, was an anchor for me was nature and just being outside. I grew up fairly uh, free range, if you will. Um, different era. You know, different time, different place. Um, I'm probably a little bit more controlling with my children these days, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, I appreciate you sort of mentioning what a transition and, and the truth is that when I flew to the U S in 1997, it was for the first time I was actually on an airplane. Um, and it was a big mm -hmm. flight. Um, so yeah, in there's 97. So much mm -hmm. Aha. Wow. I mean, in my long life, that's not that terribly long ago, really. Wow. <laughs> Some quarter of a century or so, I think. Yeah, Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? I think about it. Oh, well, that's recent history for me. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Okay. You're Sorry. right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, and... so, so you flew here and it was like your first time on a plane. Mm -hmm. And so, 
what happened from there? You landed, and what happened? <laughs> oh my goodness! So that would be also a long story. So I'll be I'll be sure to to keep it concise. But uh, I landed at uh, I think it was back home at about two three a.m. It was very scary. Everyone advised me when you land in New York City, definitely take yellow cap. I didn't listen. You know, it was a whole saga. But um, at that point, New York City was too big for me, you know, too overstimulating, certainly exciting, but overstimulating. I come from a relatively small town. And so now when I return, you know, I took my kids to New York City last year and, and we loved it and I love it. It's just, I live a different life now, but it's certainly, you know, when we talk about mindfulness, sure. boy, those, you know, uh, it was it was on steroids for sure. It was overwhelming. And so ultimately though, my final destination was Columbus, Ohio, and I, I was a nanny for a year. Um, and I just came to sort of improve my language, you know, English language and, and return sure. back. But um, things just happened differently. Could you, I decided could you to speak go English school. at the time? Um, so I learned English in school. So, so first of all, we were mandated to learn Russian, but then in high school you were allowed to pick up another language. So I picked up English. Um, and I really thought I, I spoke pretty darn well. I took uh, an oral exam at the end of high school um, and aced it. But then you come to you, and it was British English, and then you come to U.S. and it's, you know, fast American slang. So it took a minute mm -hmm. for me to adjust for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And then ultimately I decided to go back to school and... You know, I thought I would be a lawyer one day, but uh, then I had some <laughs> fascinating, fascinating psychology professors who absolutely changed the trajectory for me, you know, whether it was organizational psych or psychopathology. I just loved it. And as we talked before we started today, right, a couple of them actually identify as Buddhists. And um, that was my first intro to really sort of more official mindfulness work and, and, um, and even Buddhism. Mm. And so that's really connected with you clearly, and and you pursued that somehow, and and somehow this all transitioned. So you wanted to be a lawyer, and connect with the psycho, the, uh, the these influential instructors who were mindfulness folk in psychology. Were they in psychology? And then yeah, so they were psychology professors, and one of them actually ran uh, Zen retreats in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and like it was a it was a whole thing. Yeah, and this was in Ohio. Yeah. Wow. And so um, how was it that that, that 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 became a practice for you, like you became a social worker? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, from there on, I sort of realized, and, and again, you know, I have uh, plenty of family history of trauma and addictions and all of that. So I think that there was like a natural draw to psychopathology in, in particular and sort of psychotherapy. Um, but even, again, interacting with this professor, right, the Zen retreats were often um, sort of for underserved populations, and, and there was a lot mm -hmm. of charity work involved with that. And so, you know, I think that I always wanted to be a helper in one way or another. I think the mm -hmm. law pool was probably more related to geopolitical stuff, right? Sure. We are certainly influenced by your culture and, and your upbringing. And, and, and honestly, back then, mental health was, you know, mental health care was really non-existent in my country, so it was not on my radar, right? It's really my education in, in the U.S. that really put, you know, mental health care and psychotherapy on the radar. Yeah, and it's barely on the radar here, you know, but uh, I, at least, it, you know, like you say, there was a, a place to plug in, so it's, mm -hmm. it's really great that you intersected yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, part of my, even in undergrad, part of my sort of 
I, I took this world religion class and, and uh, selected Buddhism ultimately to study and, and do a project on. And so that's where I was really intensively introduced to meditation and you know, mm -hmm. other practices. And mm -hmm. I love yoga. You know, it all makes sense for me, uh, connecting mm -hmm. to the mind and body. Nice. And so from there, you went on to get, I gather, a degree in, in certification in social work. Um, yeah. And, and now you also wound up with a specialization in eating disorders as well. Mm -hmm. So somehow that came into focus for you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, my grandfather died of alcoholism, so he was a product of Second World War. Um, so I think that there was a pull toward that. And again, non-existent mental health care was a, really troubling for me in many ways. But um, also my father was shot multiple times and nearly died. And shortly thereafter, my sister developed an eating disorder. So, you know, I think that, again, right, it's the whose trauma are we healing and, and sort of what are we trying to do? Um, but honestly, you know, one of my first internships in grad school was at Ohio State at the Counseling Center, and my direct supervisor was an eating disorder specialist who did phenomenal, phenomenal work. And, you know, it's really easy to be influenced by someone who is a true artist in the room, if you will. So, mm -hmm. I, I totally hear you. Well, it, what stands out to me from your story so far is the power of having people, the power of positive influences in our lives like already you've mentioned how just encountering these these psychology professors and this person's supervisor um and how powerful of an influence that was on you to and to actually change the direction of your life mm -hmm. um, i'm really that stands out to me and i just want to say like to beep to you and, to, and i guess to myself and everyone it's like you know we can we can choose to be that kind of a force in the world and it really matters, you know, it really truly matters. Yeah, it's such a ripple effect, right? Uh, they changed my life and I have had the privilege to really impact a lot of other lives, so yeah, whew, gives me the chills. Mm -hmm. And so you wound up then uh, with a, you know, a certification, and you're a social worker, and Correct. so you just you started to work on your own. What did you what did you, did you go to work for an organization then? Yeah, so it's interesting. So when I so I did my internship at Ohio State, and then they hired me uh, for a fellowship. So for the first two years after grad school, which you have a limited license, so it's really hard to work on your own, really. Um, so I was mm -hmm. lucky that way. But in the middle of the um, the fellowship, I was hired by U of M, right, University of Michigan and came here to do um, both generalist work, but also um, lead their, you know, substance abuse work. Um, so I was the coordinator of alcohol and other drugs. And, um, you know, I also, my dream was to have private practice, mostly for flexibility and more freedom. There's so much that I received from working for these big universities, you know, being part of a team, having access sure. to research. All of these things are phenomenal, and that's still being part of a big machine, right? And so mm -hmm. in private practice, it allowed me more flexibility. And at some point, it you know, push came to shove, and with kids, I had to decide which one am I going to keep. And so... You know, I stayed in private practice, but I am fortunate enough to 
uh, be right in the center of an arbor. And so uh, we are sort of like a college counseling center away from the college counseling center. You know, the students walk to us. And so I've been really fortunate to keep working with students and faculty um, and sort of built my own center. Mm. And so how did, you, how did that happen that you decided to um, not just have a practice, but to be the leader of a, of, a, of a group of practitioners? Yeah, you know, I will say that I sort of fell into it a little bit by accident. Um, so back then, finding real estate, finding offices was a little bit difficult downtown Ann Arbor. And um, when I was looking for an office, so I started by renting by the hour, paying someone by the hour, right, for space. And then finally, I found my own space. And then mm -hmm. um, I had to get out of that space and find new one. And the only space that was available had three offices. It was a three office suite. Oh, and I, I figured, see. Okay, I'm going to have to have colleagues or I'm going to have to have employees. And ultimately, the <laughs> folks that wanted to join me wanted to join me as part of my team. So that it, that is really how it came about. And then, um, you know, that's a long journey, but then also it accelerated so much during COVID, right? The demand for mental health oh, services right. was so high and, yeah. and continues to be. Yeah. yeah. And I enjoyed that. I mean, those are, those are such different challenges, but um, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, well, in a certain way, do you, you know, this is, might seem a little sideways question, but I don't know why I'm going to ask it. Do you think that your experience coming from behind the Iron Curtain helped you transition during the COVID period? Oh, such a big question, right? Because COVID really triggered and re-triggered all kinds of traumas for all of us. I was wondering about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And particularly the constriction of COVID. Right? Yes. And listen, there were folks dying and folks without resources. So I'm certainly no um, rock star here. But would I, I would lie if I said that it didn't re-trigger, right, mm. some of this stuff that, yeah, restriction is a big one for me. Um, mm -hmm. Especially, and, and certainly these, this, these are privileged problems, right, but the ability to not travel and, and, and certainly worry, yeah. you know, worry about family my my entire family is still there right so it has so many layers for sure um mm. different and yet there's some overlaps for sure and yeah. you know i think that i have always been a doer my father has taught me to no matter sort of what the restrictions are you always somehow figure out a way right mm -hmm. and so on one on on one hand, I knew that we will figure out a way. We just gotta keep moving, and I think that that's what a lot of our clients experience, right? Like during COVID, we most of us or many of us kept moving, just putting one foot mm -hmm. in front of the other, and then, and COVID is not fully over, right? But when it really settled more, I think that that's when we started seeing folks really that trauma coming forward. And it reminds me a little bit, and I certainly don't want to be reductive and and minimizing combat trauma, for example, but you will have veterans who are coming who are able to manage their trauma while in combat, right? But then they come back and that's when this stuff starts coming up. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other layers mm -hmm. to it, like not, you know, um, uh, reintegration into society, uh, you know, different kinds of issues, all of that. But uh, that's what COVID 
reminds me a little bit of sort of mm. like the delayed, in some ways, delayed reaction mm. to the collective trauma that we all Yeah, have. very interesting. I, I know for myself, I think one of the, the biggest impact on me somatically was just walking around in public space feeling like everyone is a potential threat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The hypervigilance, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like every single single person is a potential threat, and whether they know it or not. And it's like I'd never, never had that before, really. Um, I mean, I kind of had, I grew up in some pretty challenging circumstances, but, mm -hmm. but um, from physical violence. But this was, you know, non-physical. This is like just proximity to people yeah. could yeah. really have an impact on you. And it's like, and I'm looking around at the world and going, well, this is a really new experience for the entire population. I never for hear anybody talk about it. Yeah. For all of us, and, and especially, and also our helpers, right? I mean, for the first time, yeah. I felt like you're looking to me to sort of support you in something that I don't have figured out, right? So if I think <laughs> about it, like, you don't want a counselor who is still actively in addiction or still actively in an eating disorder, right? Because they're not going to be super helpful. But here we were, right? Like experiencing the same darn trauma and, and challenges as our yeah. clients were. So that was that was tough. I mean, I think in some ways normalizing, I think that many of our clients sort of look to us like, oh, so it's not just me who is struggling with this, right? You also right. are struggling with this. Well, right. But I do think in those times, it's kind of like we might not be perfect facilitators in some ways, but we're as good as are, there are in some ways too, because it's kind of like you want someone who who, who has some skills yeah. in navigating these choppy waters, even though the waters are still choppy, you know. And, uh, right. And right. so, yeah, I hear what you're saying totally. It's a really important, important point. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the, the coupling, the, 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 the the mindfulness impact mm -hmm. or the impact of your mindfulness connection to your work. How do you notice that that shows up in a way mm. that benefits you and your clients or does it? Absolutely. I, I certainly don't want to be dramatic, but I do not. <laughs> Go ahead. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I would do without mindfulness, to be quite honest. Uh, mm -hmm. Over the years, with variety of life challenges, it has literally kept me sane. I will go back mm -hmm. to mindfulness any time of the day. If I am struggling, you know, whether it's my mood or, or burnout, you name it, or, you know, ho hopefully preventatively so you don't get to those places, right? But I swear by mindfulness. And when it comes to the work, a um, couple of different ways, right? I often start my sessions with a brief mindfulness exercise. We're not doing heavy meditation. It does not have sort of religious or spiritual yeah. undertones necessarily, right? But we, clients come in just like we do, with, sort of with the barrage of events and thoughts from the outside world, right? But the mo if we can start the session with a little bit of mindfulness, I call it we arrive. I know that sounds a little bit funky, right? We sort of drop in and begin right here, right now, right? You let it yeah. a little bit settle. And then the work is just so different, you know? I'm more in tune 
they are in more in tune with what's going on. Sometimes I'll throw it in sort of midway, right? Like if someone is really in their head and really giving me a lot of talk, which oftentimes folks have a lot to say, whether it's the intake or follow-up sessions, then we might drop in there and just slow it down. It's not to silence anyone, but to just slow it down because we will get to the content as well, right? Sure. But, and it allows me... I was thinking about this the other day. I was a little bit grumbly in the kitchen and my husband is there and I said something and I could see just such a micro change in his face, mm -hmm. right? Clearly, clear as day, this this disappointment. And, and it just allowed me to connect with him very differently. So whether it's my personal life or with my clients, you know, beyond just, oh, I see you tapping your foot really fast. Are you anxious? Maybe you have ADD. But these micro movements or micro expression changes, right? Like it just allows you to be so much more in tune with the mm -hmm. client in the session. The other thing that really sort of helps me, I think that with, even with burnout, right? I close and open my sessions with what has been referred to as a sacred pause, you know, cup, just a couple of seconds right after the session it's almost like a ritual like it's like a closing even when the client so this is, is gone, you right? this is you with yourself this is this for is me this is for me yeah. yeah so right when the session ends i will take my little moment to truly sort of complete it if you will and then i'm also mm -hmm. better prepared for the next session more present mm -hmm. right because otherwise we could just go 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 I can start blending in and and you know, I sometimes see it, I supervise focus, uh, folks as well, and, and sometimes I see this in the newer folks in the field, that they try to fill in every, you know, moment with tools and strategies and talking, and, mm -hmm. and I know it. I mean, early on, I was sort of anxious too. I must provide folks with strategies and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that. But then we get just lost and, and we struggle more. It really, I know this is so redundant, but our clients heal and they feel heard. Right. It is these moments for me and right. for the clients that make a difference in our work. So I could go on and on. So please stop me. Chime in anytime. No, no, no. This is great. I mean, I, I love hearing this because it's uh, so, so true, I believe, and powerful. And it's uh, the kind of thing I teach as well in my work. But it's also it's just I love hearing it from everyone and particularly from you because you're living it, you're working it and you're teaching it and it makes it makes it super powerful. And the, also the the key I'm hearing in you sort of um, honoring what I call your organic nature, like giving yourself time to transition mm -hmm. from one thing to another. And the way that that changes the quality of your experience in your moment so that you can be more present for your clients and they and like you said it's kind of they want to be heard and my i guess my question for people who who might not be that familiar with you know the impact of bringing mindfulness into your work what do you think happens to the client whenever they notice that you're noticing oh they feel hurt and validated it's like oh yeah Number one, right, there is space for me to really show up exactly as I am. I don't have to figure out, figure it out. I don't have to have it all together, meaning the client. She gets it. She gives me space. There's no judgment. There's just, we're just fully present, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, in my, um, the way I feel then to that is like, it gives the client a lot of permission to just show up 
authentically however they want, right? And like you say, if the coach is like trying to fill up all the space with, oh, I've got to be the good coach. It's really important that I ask the powerful question right now. And what's, you know, how can I really strategically orient around this person's problem? It, 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 um, it's not that that can't be helpful, but it, there's not room for the client to kind of emerge more fully. Yeah, and it can really get in the way. So listen, mm -hmm. I am a pretty behavior-oriented therapist, right? I do, I work dialectical behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. So there is still some agenda to my work. It's not always just sure. like, oh, let's just see what happens, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. that either. But <laughs> there is the saying that if you listen with your ears, your eyes and your heart open, you'll know exactly what to say and when. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I will draw on the tools that I know, but the right ones based on what just happened. Mm -hmm. Right? As opposed to sort of like coming in with my agenda, my agenda, today we should work on this. Mm -hmm. And it still would be grounded in what the client is coming in with and all that, but I, but I am much more attuned to what's really needed in the moment. The, the answers just emerge, it just, it just connects. So yes, it's still required of me to have tools to draw upon when it shows up. But I am able to do that more, I don't wanna use the word precisely, but it, it doesn't sit well. Um, no, 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 maybe more accurately. Let it come to surface, you know, let the, uh, sometimes I think of the, um, you know, how we give kids the, the uh, what is it, like the um, uh, snow globe jars, you know, where we, right, they might be bombarded with thoughts and we just let it settle and then clarity comes, so. Yeah, I use terminology all the time. Mm -hmm. I sometimes call it uh, diamonds at your feet. Um, mm. And and it, you, you can't see it because people are going, oh, where's, where's, how do I do this and how do I do that? What's the answer to this? And and I and like you, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of just helping people slow down a little bit. That in and of itself is therapeutic. That in and of itself is often very helpful to people. And when they do, not only and when I do that as a coach, also I'll see like you mentioned, I'll see ways to do things, what to say, ways, opportunities to engage with the client. On the, during the session that you just don't see otherwise. It's kind of That's like, right. oh, here's that, here's that connection, and it's like was right there all the time. So it's like, oh yeah, there's a diamond just sitting right here, a jewel, if I can just notice it. Yeah, it's just this opening, this clearing, you know, mm. in the in the forest. I heard that somewhere else. I can't remember where, but. Uh... That's sort of, those are the words that come to my mind, clearing in the forest, you know, if you let it. Um, yeah, beautiful. You know, and, and here's the thing. There's some clients, right, who, for whom just being with the present is not easy, right? Histories of trauma. Exactly. Um, and so even when I do mindfulness, it's, again, it's not, you know, there are some clients who come to me and really actually want to practice more on the meditation side. But some folks, you know, being with their breath or being with their thoughts is just way too much, whether it's ADHD, history of trauma. So we yeah. may start with just mindful eating 
or mindfully dropping into our senses, right? So what are the five things that you see? What are the three things you hear? Like, so, you know, implementing it also on a very individual basis. Um, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you know, there's so many ways into the moment, right? So helping the client find the, what's accessible to them yeah. is really super valuable work, super valuable. A lot of that's yeah. the mindful coach method that is, is, is what I teach around that somatic. Mm. Mm. Re, I'm trying to call it rehydrating the mind-body connection. And, mm. and, you have, mm -hmm. and it's very specific for the client, right? So you have to find out what works for them. And coaching versus therapy, you know, coaching, in this case, we're looking for what's resource, what's what feels mm. good, what's resources. Mm -hmm. Whereas in therapeutic, we're going to go into the woundedness, you know. Uh, yeah. So, ah, such great stuff. I'm so uh, excited to be talking to you. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, like, for coaches out there that would like to bring more, more mindfulness into their work, what would what would you say would be a good way to to begin to do that? Are you thinking of someone who just doesn't have any mindfulness background, or? Well, I'm thinking about uh, that's a great question. I would say someone who is like maybe they've got like MBSR training or mm. some kind of some kind of training, but that's not necessarily interactive, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like I can sit down and I can be present, but how do I make that work in my session? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's. I, I would really love to hear your thoughts on this, but I think a lot of the things that I mentioned, right, could you be just starting with the mindful pause, with the mm -hmm. let's just arrive today, or um, when you're noticing a client to be particularly fidgety, can you say that, right? Like I'm noticing that you're really, this seems really uncomfortable for you. Um, mm -hmm. How do you feel about us, you know, maybe giving it that little pause here and, and see how it lands, you know, how, mm -hmm. what, what is here? And it's interesting. I had a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a session with a client who uh, is generally, you know, reports a lot of anxiety. It is quite difficult for him to be in his body. Um, but we were still, we were still able to do that, particularly with attention to his senses. Right, like him at to, first paying attention his to, what? to his senses. Right, so what, oh, do, what, yeah. do, what do you hear? What do you smell? What do you see? Um, so my voice was grounding. Right, listening to the spaces between sounds, and mm -hmm. then eventually he was able to drop more into his body um, and sort of doing a little bit of a touch and go on that. Um, so how was that for him when he did that? Yeah, I mean he said at first it was quite difficult, but. Um, he was able to access and, and sort of stay in his body for long. I mean, I, you know, I'm certainly uh, not torturing anyone if it's uncomfortable. People are, you know, Well, free. no, no, of course not. To, to, you know, but I mean, people are did, did he find that, did he find that insightful or, or helpful? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he was able to stay with the, so the anxiety was showing up mostly in his chest, right? And yes. we were able to yeah. sort of, he was able to stay there long enough to feel it move mm -hmm. uh, at first it felt like it was growing but then it actually shrank so i will focus on qualities like that you know does it have a shape does it have a color size yeah, I love that. moving yeah. Yeah. and sometimes folks think that um that we're supposed to sort of 
arrive all calm or arrive to a place of peace or not have any thoughts or, you know, that they're no, doing it No, we're wrong. just exploring, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exploring. Exploration is a great word for this, right? Is there a way for us to explore what's here? And even if it's, I really don't want to do this, there are too many thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Can we ground into those feet? And or, let that yeah. be so. Just, you know, just notice that it feels overwhelming and we'll go as far or as little as you want to with this. You know, so that'd be my kind of response. Because yeah. it's always giving the, the client authority yes. to to do as much right. or as little as they wish. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. I and, love this so you know, much. Yeah. And, you know, some of my folks are, and I do a lot of work with eating disorders, right? So we may mm -hmm. do just the mindful eating with a raisin. So many things come forward, you know, um, as, you do that, as you do that, right, as you're observing the raisin and smelling the raisin and then you put it in your mouth. You know, my clients sometimes will say some of them will say, oh, I have had it in my fingers. We explored it and now you want me to put it in my mouth. Right. And you <laughs> see layers maybe of sort of OCD, right, coming forward like a yeah, duster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or some of my clients will report, oh, I just wanted to eat the raisin really, really quick because I generally eat raisins by a handful or on a salad rather than just one. I, I was noticing the urge to swallow really fast, right? So it's these little tiny things that come forward that we were not even realizing, you know? No, it's so powerful to have that conscious intention to slow down and pay attention to your senses because it's such a remarkably powerful skill in terms of up leveling the quality of our lives and it's and it's really hard to get people if you just say let's do that people go forget it but when you do it it's like whoa whoa i can't believe what what a difference it makes in, in my relationships and my therapeutic you know in session work and and uh, the quality of my moment drivings it's it's unbelievable yeah. And, and, you know, it's so funny, right? Because it's kind of like you, we can talk about working out or we work out two very different things, right? So we can talk about mindfulness or we can do mindfulness. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it takes time to feel the results, right? And they will come slow yeah, and they will come in tiny places. But if you can stick with it, it's magic. And I, you know, especially when I worked at the counseling center, um, I work with college students with substance abuse and, uh, you know, you approach it also differently with some of these youngsters. I mean, some of these youngsters actually have access to mindfulness. They have done it. They're new, not new to it, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. I, I remember one example that I would often give is this. When I was sort of starting with mindfulness, I remember coming from a grocery store and I, I'm, I'm bringing this bag of peaches and I pull one of them out and I just felt overjoyed by the ray of colors on a darn peach. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, were you tripping on something? Or <laughs> what was this? That's some good some good stuff you're on there. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of stuff, right? That mindfulness can really sort of enhance. I know this if, if someone is new to mindfulness, they may sound this may sound a little crazy to folks, right? But it is that kind of enhancement, as you said of our life experiences, our senses, our relationships. Yeah. It's just different presence. It really is. And I, I, you know, I, I sometimes say the reason I got into coaching is in mindfulness work is because I, I want, I wish I could lift and shift my, my moment and my experience sometimes when, you know, when I'm more in my true self. And because I think 
it's pretty, my experience of it is it's pretty rich at times. A lot of times, like this moment when you're lighting up around the peach, it's kind of like, oh my God, well, what if you could have 50 of those moments a day? And you can, right? Uh, and it's, it's like, well, wouldn't that change your world? Wouldn't that change your relationship to people around you? And doesn't that then also change their lives? And then therefore we have a better world all of a sudden. And so that's my yeah, and that's right. yeah, yeah. I think that that's really hard to grasp for folks, right? If you're not practicing, and also, right, like there's this. Sometimes when I ask for sort of what are your goals for treatment, and maybe something like, well, I wanna I wanna be happier, and and you have to start unpacking what does that mean. And you're right. I mean, happiness oftentimes is this collection of these moments, milly moments, mm-hmm. right? And and small joys. It's not the winning the lottery like we know when you look at the research right like folks who win lottery and and i think that even folks who um uh, are in you know life-changing injuries and stuff like that i think that after two years or so they go back to their base level of happiness if you will and so Mm -hmm. this is what's sustainable and i know I, i sort of feel like i'm um trying to sell it um, <laughs> well i don't but, feel uh, that way but I, I'm, I'm just i'm just hoping that folks give it a try and and find their own way right and it can be so simple just like just noticing i have a whole series of uh, uh, things that i teach called uh, what lights you up it's like just so mm-hmm. one of the things i'll give my clients is like take an inventory of, the, of the, those moments where you notice mm-hmm. what lights you up and mm-hmm. and really just letting yourself have those on purpose you know no you don't go out and make them but whenever Whenever you do experience something pleasant, you just go, oh, I'm having one of those moments. Mm. And just let yourself really have it, right? Like the peach or the sunset mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. dog or the face or the sound or whatever it is that lights you up. And then and neurologically, it's a somatic state shift. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and it's really super important to notice those somatic state shifts in yourself if you're a coach or a therapist, because then you can be able to notice them in other people. You mentioned one earlier, like when you were talking about your husband and he could just see the little micro expression, a little somatic shift happened there. And you noticed it and it changed the entire conversation. That's right, it did. That's right, it did. And it just deepens the relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because I can tend to that differently. as opposed to if I'm just moving through life so quickly and distracted and Precisely. and listen, life is complicated, life is busy, you know, so mm. I certainly don't live in mindfulness all the darn time, right? But it's like you said, if, <laughs> Wait, those, moments happen, <laughs> if those moments happen, it's it's such a gift. Uh, it really yeah, is. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, my wife feels like I'm a sham sometimes. She's like, well, you're a mindfulness <laughs> coach. How are you acting this way? <laughs> yeah, well, I heard it from somewhere as well. It's like, what happened to your practice? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're I'm not enlightened, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, I think what it also reminds me of, I remember uh, when my children were really young, you know, and, and that life is so stressful, right? Because you're like managing your jobs and you're trying to be on time and you've got to take them to daycare and... And then there is an accident they have or something like that, you're rushing, rushing, right? And I would remember mm-hmm. trying to get them in a car in, you know, in, at my house, in my garage. And all of a sudden, one of them like steps out and there's like a dandelion right outside the garage. Mm-hmm. And they drop everything and just, look, there's look. this dandelion, right? It's this, it's, it's, um, 
you know, we're sort of born with it, and then we lose it in the rushing. And and certainly, you know, we can lift like the toddlers, but um, those are lovely reminders. No, it's beautiful. Those are the I mean, those are the diamonds at your feet, right? Mm -hmm. As we were talking about earlier, the jewels at your feet, and and they're they're everywhere. Those moments are everywhere. This has been so much fun. How do people find you and your 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 business, uh, the the Lotus Consulting, and um, connect with this great work that you're doing? Yeah. Um... So, uh, first of all, I'm always happy to answer questions and, and connect with, uh, with folks, so don't hesitate to reach out. For therapy, you know, we, I'm only able to do therapy within the state of Michigan. The Practice Lotus Consulting is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, and um, so that, that website is just lotusconsultingplc.com. And I also, as I said, I do specialized work with eating disorders, and I have a separate website just specifically for parents and caregivers of kids with eating disorders, and that's just under ilonaphillips.com. So don't hesitate to reach out. Okay, I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can make it easy to access. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the way that you're bringing so much goodness and grace to those around you. I really appreciate it. Just personally, I appreciate it. Yeah, right, right back at you. And, and I also appreciated the pause that we took right before we started. Um, mm. So I did see that you practice what you preach. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I do have days where that works out pretty well. So um, <laughs> thank you so much. And I um, appreciate you being here. Talk soon. You're welcome.